What are you going to do with those pies, boys? What's up, horror fans? You're listening to the Trash Mouth Presents Podcast. I'm your host, Trash Mouth. And this past week, I got to interview the one and only legendary composer behind the Killer Clowns from Outer Space, John Massari. It was a huge honor to get to interview John. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. uh, And it has one of my all-time favorite scores as well. I'm not going to talk very long because he gave me a pretty long interview. And it wouldn't be exaggerated to say this was my funnest and favorite interview I've done so far. I haven't done many, but uh, this was definitely my favorite. So... Without further ado, here's the interview. So, John, just want to start with saying thank you for doing this interview. Is it uh, cool if I call you John, of course? Of course, absolutely. It's really great to be here, Tim. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Not a problem. Uh, Killer Clowns is obviously one of my favorite movies of all time, I gotta admit. It's so fun that it's hard not to love. So, uh, I just want to start with a few minor questions before I get into some of the films that you've done and stuff like that. And then we're also going to talk about some scores later, which... I'll explain, you know, well, once we get to that. But what okay. uh, one of my favorite shows on television, it's really actually a pretty long-running show. It's pretty impressive how long it's been running is uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And, uh, so while digging up some research on you, I f- found that you did an episode of that. Can you tell me a little bit about that, like how it came to be and um, which episode it was? Oh, certainly. Um, I would have to look through my statements to see what episode it was in particular. And... I believe I saw the episode um, maybe a few months after it was broadcast. But uh, I wasn't uh, here. Here's how that works, uh, because you'll notice on my IMDb, I have many, many, many credits. And um, music is like real estate. It's a property that gets sold and traded and rented out and what have you. And I have a very large library of music with uh, an organization called Extreme Music. It's um, it's Extreme Music and uh, Bleeding Fingers. And it's, uh, it's uh, oddly enough, it's a company that's run by Hans Zimmer. Okay. And uh, a number of composers, there's a lot of composers. And I have uh, various pen names with that. I'm known as... Uh, John Massari, David Inlander, and Biggie G. Those are my, <laughs> those are my three I like that names. one. <laughs> yeah, I like Biggie G too. Um, so I, um, uh, you know, I have a, a, a volume of music, and music directors and music editors go through that, and they, they pick things that are appropriate for whatever television show, and they will edit that music in. So that's okay. how that's how I wind up in, like, with Dr. Oz and... Oh my goodness! There's so many. T- Stranger Things has me yeah. mine. Um, uh, that was actually my next question. Was about uh, how did that? Yeah. You know, how did you that find out about that? That, that, was little, that was a little bit more involved. But okay. uh, back to your um, Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, one of my, uh, you know, a few pieces of my music were used in particular episodes. So okay. that's that's how that came about. It wasn't likely they said, "Oh, geez, let's call Masari and see what the heck he would do." It was yeah. just like. I I have uh, it's for instance I, I I did a piece of music that um, was used for Toy Story three. Oh, that, that's awesome! That they really liked that would that fit perfectly. That I had done years and years ago. Uh, there's also um, Parks and Recreation. 
Oh, was, yeah, I love that show, too. And there's there, there all of a sudden, I'll watch a commercial or a trailer to either a television show or movie, and I'll go, oh, wow, that little bit there, that's from me. Yeah. You know? So so that's how that works. And and then, of course, for Stranger Things, um, the Duffer brothers have a uh, an affection for a, a great, classic, iconic horror, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously for killer clowns from outer space and there was a scene that they thought gosh how appropriate would it be to use these two or three particular pieces from the original soundtrack mm-hmm. of killer clowns from outer space and they also used uh, a piece of music of mine from the reimagined soundtrack which was which is performed by an orchestra so they yeah. contacted me oh i gotta say about maybe a month or two prior to the um uh, airing uh, prior to the prior to the you know during the editing process a few months before where they were doing editing and audio mixing that's when they contacted me and you know you we we exchanged the proper information and they get the the actual registered uh uh stamped uh you know embedded information masters from me and all that sort of stuff so that's that's how that works uh you know it becomes it becomes very bureaucratic at some point, you know, they, you know, people make artistic decisions and then they have to go the process of, you know, there's like lots of paperwork that you have to do to get that done. But that, anyways, that's yeah. how that happened. And, and I can't tell you how thrilled I was uh, because they basically described the scene. They just said mm-hmm. robots come to life. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, that sounds, that's cool. That's great. And so I didn't know it was practically at the beginning of the show. And um, I actually saw it at midnight when it, originally aired and and i got a kick out of it it's interesting because i was with my daughters and they recognized it just before me they go dad that's yours and i go you're right you're no kidding there there is because i basically i wasn't listening for my music i was enjoying the episode yeah yeah trying to see where it was going to take itself and stuff right and it and it uh it aired at midnight and we were up until seven o'clock in the morning because we had Mm -hmm. to watch of course, we had to watch episode. We had to watch season one and two, then season three, and mm-hmm. uh, so we got the we got the full uh, Stranger Things experience, which was a lot of fun. Okay, that's awesome. You got to enjoy that with your uh, family and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, and and we just had you know we, it was like a normal Fourth of July. It wasn't like oh we are gonna watch Dad's thing. Yeah. Uh, you, it's my daughter say, hey, Dad, you mentioned that you have something on Stranger Things. Is that going to be tonight? And I go, uh, maybe. Uh, I think so, yeah, because the, the premiere is tonight. I go, oh, my goodness, you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, and it was like July 3rd going into the 4th, I think, when, yeah. it, when it was, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, we looked at I go, you know, we don't have to look the whole thing. When the, After my thing's done, we can do whatever the heck else you want to do. And then they said, oh, no, we want to watch this whole episode. Then I think, we, and it was my daughter says, we need to go to season one first and to catch up to speed because this seems, <laughs> these things seem out of uh, context. So yeah. we did that and they, um, they're really good at that sort of thing, uh, you know, ch- checking stuff out and, and getting into the whole psychology and story arc of whatever television series. Yeah. So one of the first things that you ever did was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the short, The Wizard of Speed and Time. Is yes, that, I, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, that thing is, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty weird. Uh, can you just add, uh, explain how you kind of got connected with that and then also explain how it felt to go on and expand it into a feature-length film later on in uh, the late 80s? 
you know, everything's an interesting story. Everything has a, there's a, there is, there, there are many paths to, you know, one stream, like every story, if you ask anyone of any, anything they did, there's going to be so many different facets, but here's how it happened. Um, I took a seminar course at UCLA that I did not have to take, but mm -hmm. I took it anyways as a favor to someone because they needed more bodies in the room so that they can have that seminar class again. Yeah. And luckily I was living very close to campus and I could go and it was a lot of fun. You know, they had coffee and donuts. It was at night. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, uh, there was a show and tell where you could play music that you recorded. And I had just done a little piece of music for a movie of the week at the time for um, for another composer who did Wizards. His name was Andrew Belling. And uh, it was recorded by the London Symphony, of all things. So I brought a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder mm -hmm. to play the high-fidelity version of my thing. I played it for the class. I talked about it. And this guy comes up to me who turned out to be uh, is along my friend now he mm. said hey i'm working with a, a director who's just doing some really interesting things with disney uh, would you be interested and i go sure okay and so later that night we drove to his house the director's house mm. and that was mike jitloff and he showed me his um you know the 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 earliest permutations of that wizard short that you're talking about which is quite yeah. visually captivating and oh yeah part of the reason why it's visually captivating if you've ever seen it projected mm -hmm. from a projector onto a screen it has far more impact than if you're seeing like the glow of a youtube stream yeah you know because you have the flickering of lights and it, it really has an really has a an effect on you it really has an impact so he showed me the like kind of the rough cut and he was kind of like Going, hum, bah, 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 bah. you know, he was kind of like, I wanted, I want the music to sound like this and that and all that. And so he finally finished it. And, um, and just out of nowhere, I mean, it's not like he had to qualify me. It's mm. because this other guy said, oh, this guy should do it. He did a piece of music for the London Symphony. Okay, well, let's just have him do our thing, you know. <laughs> Hey, Which, if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I did that, and uh, it was part of a um, Disney Network special about special effects. And there was oh, this okay. camera wizard, Mike Jetlove played this camera wizard that um, basically did these little tiny scenarios about the different types of animation, stop motion animation, you know, uh, drawn cartoon animation. And it was kind of, kind of like a quasi... Um, documentary sort of thing and it all tied in with the release of the black hole because they also okay. talked about how they generated the special effects for the black hole you know the, you know for all of the, your listeners that are filmmakers you know there's uh there's matte shots there's floating mats there's there's you know in killer class matter space you'll see it all the time they'll get a sheet of glass and they'll paint something on the fore on the foreground and the actors will be behind that and it will look like the actors are in that world whatever it is you know and okay. the, uh, the artist will match it up with the lighting and everything so they position this kind of like what i got behind me sort of if yeah. you can imagine that someone has like cut out certain aspects of it and then put it in front of the camera and then you walk in front of it and then you mm. think that 
you're in that environment. So yeah. they had all kinds of fascinating stuff like that. Uh, I had no idea that it would be responsible. It would show up in so many uh, college um, filmmaking and animation classes. And people, I, I've met people who said, oh, I, I am a professional animator at such and such a place uh, because I saw The Wizard of Speed and Time. It just made me want to uh, pursue a career in, in, in animation and in filmmaking. So that is quite spectacular. And while we're on that subject, I, I did, uh, I just finished remastering uh, most of the music. Uh, well, I say all of the music, excuse me, from the only side, most of the music is because it's being released on vinyl and I can only fit so much there's only so much program that will fit on vinyl. So we remastered the Wizard of Speed and Time soundtrack onto vinyl. And it's uh, if you look on my Instagram, I have some test pressings of the other green vinyl where you can see through it. And uh, it's a nice green color. And it sounds wonderful. And uh, I'm very excited about that. Well, that's awesome, especially to hear that, uh, you know, that that's inspiring, you know, more filmmakers and more uh, composers, you know, for the future and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was too. I, I, I'm very thrilled. I, I'm very th that, and with other movies that I've done that have become kind of part of cult film and music history. I shouldn't say history, uh, culture maybe cult culture. Yeah. culture um, is that I, I feel like I have this uh, family, extended family of nieces and nephews, and uh, maybe grandchildren and great grandchildren. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, because there are some films that we're, we're going to talk about later that uh, parents have passed down to their kids and even grand grandparents have passed down to their grandchildren. Yeah. So real quick, I did read something about the uh, Wizard and Speed in Time that said that there was a problem with the film rights. So now it's pretty much like sitting in public domain. Do you know anything about that or? Oh, no, it's not in public domain. Oh, OK. Uh, it's it's not. Mike Jetlove um, is the, the sole copyright owner of of that particular property. It just doesn't have a, um, an official distributor. Oh, okay. for, for instance, the, the only person that can go to the vault and claim the negative is Mike Jetloff. Okay. Awesome. So it's not so, just something that somebody can throw in their film, like, uh, like night of the living dead was for a little well, while. It could, but it's not, I don't, I don't think it would be scrupulous. Yeah. Know? But, uh, as far as like the person, the person that, that has the key to unlock the vault to get to the negative, to to exhibit or do anything new with the film would be Mike Jetloff. Okay, awesome. So somebody couldn't just come remake his stuff and yeah. Well, we we are talking about we're actively talking about starting to restore his short all of his short films and just restore them, clean up the negatives and clean up the images and making a, a high definition uh, release of his short films that will lead to the restoration of his feature. That he that we did that Mike uh, is very adamant about uh, cutting differently and redoing a lot, basically redoing the movie, yeah. leaving the footage as is, but redoing a lot of the special effects and doing some very heavy re-editing and uh, uh, some very uh, very uh, involved sound edits, especially with the dialogue. Something that um i don't know when that will happen that's mike's wish that's his desire but i know what we can do now we can get his short films that he has all the negatives to he has the negatives to everything they're in yeah. you know he has control of that so but and and a fun and 
initial task or initial passion project would be to restore his original short films. And there's about, I think there's anywhere between five to eight of them that are, that are really cute. Some of them are shot on, uh, most of them are shot in 16. I think there's one shot on 35. And there's uh, a few shot on eight millimeter, believe it or not, or a very specific or a smaller. There's different various formats of 16 millimeter. And I forgot it's like an earlier format of 16. So so we're looking forward to that as a, okay, as awesome. a kind of starter program. And um, with those shorts, would that include the Wizard of Speed and Time? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The dancing. Okay. With, it was originally called the working title was the dancing wizard or the camera wizard. Okay, so the short would probably have a different name when it dropped. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. It'll probably be called The Wizard of Speed and Time or I Am the Wizard of Speed and Time or something. We'll we'll figure that yeah. out. Okay. Um, so I also found out in my research that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you almost got expelled from university one time. Hmm? Do you, yeah. What do, you, do you work for, like, Interpol or something? <laughs> I, can't, I can't release that information. How in the <laughs> world did you... I mean, you... I haven't Googled that. You know what? I got that. I got asked that question some years ago when I traveled from London into Paris. The um, general, I think it's called the general gendarmerie, the the, the federal police pulled mm -hmm. me aside because my last name could be Italian, Hungarian, Japanese or Arabic. So it's like, oh, let me let's ask this. Let's see. Pull this guy up and see what the heck he's all about. So one of the questions, many, many questions they asked me to verify who I was, was um, they gave me three names of three universities that all had Los Angeles in them. It says, which uh, have you, and if have you, and if you were a candidate for expulsion, expulsion from a university, which one would it have been? And I go, oh my God. The f so the first thing I thought, I didn't care about the question. I cared. I cared about the fact that what this is on my permanent record. Yeah, <laughs> somebody was able to pull it up. I almost yeah. got expelled. I mean, it's there. I go. You know, I was saying. By the way, you get my GPA also. You know, I didn't ask him that. I wasn't going to be yeah. a smart aleck with him. Anyway, so I, I answered the question correctly, right? And so that was the last time I got asked that question, and that was quite a few years ago. It's probably before you were born. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So anyway, so here's the story. So my history professor, my music history professor, excuse me, uh, Professor Irwin, she gave me a note and she said, John, yes, please take this to the dean. Now, you just can't go to the dean of the school of music. You have to have an appointment. Yeah. So I didn't know what this was. It just said uh, the had the dean and I'm not going to mention the dean's name. I don't think she wants to be. She, she, I, I don't. Never mind. It just had the dean's name on it. Let's say yeah. Dean Worm, okay, from Animal House. So I bring this note to um, the front desk, and I said, uh, "Hi, um, Professor Irwin wanted me to give the dean this note. Uh, apparently, it's very important." So um, she goes, "Okay, hold on a second. And then the dean, the secretary, opens it up as I'm leaving. She says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, get back here. Get back here. What's that?" Hold on a second. And so she runs into the dean's office, interrupts her whatever meeting, and all of a sudden uh, she comes back. The secretary comes back. Okay, the dean will see you now. I sit down in front of the dean, and the dean's looking at this note, and she's like, she's like holding her head. She goes, "Okay, let me understand this. Tell me if this is correct." I go, "Okay, Professor Irwin 
is sending you to me because you fell asleep in front of Professor Irwin while she was admonishing you for falling asleep in class. Is that correct? And I said, well, Dean Wormer, uh, Professor Irwin's voice is akin to sonic chamomile. You know, and I thought she would find that funny because this particular, um, and everyone was complaining about it, this particular professor was pretty boring. And uh, she goes, what I want to know is how come you're getting high marks in this class and you're falling asleep? What's going on? She says, well, oh, what I do is I go to Professor Cole's history class. He's fascinating. He used to be a, um, uh, a medevac pilot in the Vietnam War, and he has fascinating stories about music and music history and about when he was in the war. And he, like you feel like you're there, and he's captivating, and he gives you great reading material, and uh, he encapsulates he everything perfect. Okay, shut up, shut up, shut up. I should, she, she did just like Dean Warmer. I should expel you right now. But I won't because you're getting good grades. Not only that, I was putting on concerts like yeah. once or twice a year. And it was like boosting morale in, in the school because I, I would feature uh, the music students in the concerts. And they were well attended. And I had just gotten the Frank Sinatra Award for, for composing and arranging. Yeah. So she, that's why. But I'm going to put you down as a candidate, mm. which means you're not expelled. But if I see one more incident like this you will be expelled so that that's what it was she you know and let me tell you she just she was not happy and at the time i did not think it was funny because mm. i had gone through a lot of sacrifice working the summers to earn money for the um uh for my tuition and uh working part-time jobs i was always i was always um i had a job like during school like i washed dishes for four years at the mm. dorm, you know, and I thought, oh gosh, if I get expelled, now you got to understand, I'll get expelled from the music school, but I'll still be able to take other courses. Yeah. So the music school only would be expelling me, but I could go, I could still take my English class and my, you know, astronomy classes and all that sort of stuff. So my stomach was like turned into acid because everyone, no one in my family was in the entertainment or media business or anything. Mm -hmm. And so they expected that, well, after I grad, after you graduate, you're just going to be working at Warner Brothers Studio, right? In the music note factory portion yeah. of the, the, the place, you know? And I thought, oh, gosh, this is not going to go, this will not go over well. And if I did get expelled, I would have to petition to get back in. But luckily, I just got a shot fired across my brow. So she, she just said, make sure you take a thermos of coffee. During Charlotte Irwin's class, I do not. I don't want to hear. I don't even hear. Know that you blink your eyes for more than three seconds. So, so that was that. I got the. I got the. Uh, the riot act read to me. So that's the story. I almost got expelled. Yeah. So that's what's sitting on your. Uh, it's pretty much the dean's shortlist is what's on your permanent record right now. Why? It's like <laughs> I don't know how you get that. I don't know how how I get that expunged, but. Uh, that that's that's that story well thank you for asking me that it brought back a really horrible memory i think i'm gonna have a I have nightmares tonight <laughs> i did want to ask when you said he asked you about the three uh schools in la did you go to all three schools or oh no no he he went um this he, it went something like this i went to ucla university of california at los angeles mm -hmm. so he said uh university of southern california cal state university los angeles 
uh, and then he said University of California, Los Angeles, which one of the three? So I knew, you know, and um, something he asked me something of something else about UCLA, like where was it? Where is it located? And it's located in a part of Los Angeles called Westwood. So mm-hmm. I got that right, you know. <laughs> so yeah. they ask you a lot of questions. This is this is back in the day when, uh, you know, I think when I went there. Um, Italy uh, at their um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci airport, there was a bombing, like Mm -hmm. just like days before I went to Europe. So everyone was on ultra high alert. They were pulling everyone over with like, you know, they, uh, you know, talk about profiling. They were, I was being profiled. So, but Mm -hmm. I was happy to answer the questions because I had to get where I was going. Yeah. I guess I'll ask you a few more questions. I'll probably go ahead and just dive into a little bit of Killer Clowns from Outer Space if you don't mind, and then we'll talk about those few scores that we talked about. Um, okay. So when it comes to uh, Killer Clowns, you've done a lot of interviews about them, so I'm not going to ask you too much about it, but I just, uh, and I'm sure you've answered this question before, but do you have a favorite clown kill from the movie? Do I have a favorite? Well, I don't know if you call it favorite. I have one that, like, just when I first saw it, it was just so appalling. When mm-hmm. I first saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space, it had no temp music. It just had dialogue, yeah. and it, it barely had any sound effects. So mm-hmm. the scene where um, we it's in the police station where Officer Movie uh, Officer Mooney is being manipulated like a marionette puppet. Yeah, that was so gruesome and and bileless. It was just uh, uh, it just really was. Sh- shivering it was sending shivers through my mind because it's like god that's pretty gross and, and he pulls his hand out there's like covered with blood and they didn't yet do the sound effect of the the big sound effect of the coming out and yeah. then the blood it was like it sounded like if it was really happening because the sound <laughs> effects that are in there are like bigger than life but yeah. the sound effects that were there before were kind of Oh god, that sounds like really real. And he flops on the floor. It just seems so inhuman, yeah, you know, and, and cruel, and all that. So that's mine. That's 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 my uh, favorite kill. And and okay. as you know, as you know, uh, uh, we have a friend, um, uh, uh, dead meat, James A. Janice and Chelsea, um, mm-hmm. Rebe- Chelsea Rebecca. That uh, that's what they do is make. Uh, do kill counts and they they yeah. asked me that a long time ago what's your what's your favorite kill from that i go i don't know if it's favorite but the most gruesome one that like yeah. stands out and you know i'm i'm pretty you know there's not much that could scare me but that was like ugh, that was mm-hmm. you know they and the kids had a choice of going into a lot of gore and they chose not to and that was the only one the one scene that was like you can call a full-on kind of that gore fans really liked also yeah well speaking of the uh sound effects uh how much of that did you do did you do every single sound effect or did somebody was there another team of people doing that or yeah that was uh there were uh, particularly chuck serino who's also a composer and filmmaker chuck serino as a matter of fact chuck serino and i are diving back into all of the sound elements and music elements and because i just finished editing the concert movie of okay. Killer Clowns from Outer Space that's being uh, right now it's getting approved by the powers that be uh, I had I was privy to get a, a lot of really great uh, the original 
audio elements and obviously my original music elements, which I recorded over. Yeah. But we, Chuck and I are talking about remixing them properly because as you know, there's so many permutations of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. They, they like remastered the audio and they remastered the, uh, the visuals. However, the audio they remastered was basically polishing up the mix that we originally did. And the mix that we originally did, is, uh, I cringe because the balance of the sound effects and music and dialogue is just not really up to snuff to our uh, 2019 ears. It's, it's just there's a yeah. lack of punch. There are things that are actually missing also because I quite frankly we were kind of the the company that was producing it our film was kind of on the low priority so if we needed five full days to do a proper mix in those days i think we only got three and they really rushed us through it so there are elements that are actually missing that weren't okay. like because in in those days it wasn't like you have a digital audio workstation where you could see all the elements they had to be reeled up on machines mm -hmm. and people had to find the reels like they were reels like this big that had to be founded that were labeled properly and you need the you need like a whole team of people just to keep track of that and the personnel that we got at the facility we were at were just two guys mm -hmm. and so the fact that we got through it at all it was almost a miracle to me but i know the kyoto brothers and i and uh, a lot of the people that worked on the film we just still cringe over some of the audio elements that are missing i mean there's there's yeah. a great scene where the, the terenzi brothers are coming to a screeching halt and you barely hear anything it sounds like someone moved a couch you know I, so so there are things like that that have to like pop at you oh and when the the spaceship blows up at the end uh, we had a we had a high fidelity recording of an atomic test that was recorded from 20, uh, 20 miles away that sounds like the most ominous um, thunder strike you can imagine, and mm. that's like not there, and it's just yeah. not there. So I found that and I put it in the concert, put it in the sound effects for the concert movie, and it's got a lot of impact. And uh, so anyways, that's what we're going to do. We're going to um, uh, Chuck Serino, who did the sound effects, and I are going to go through and re uh, we're going to we, we, we want the audio track to be as colorful as the visuals, because Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a kind of, it's kind of a beautiful movie. The color schemes and everything. The Kyoto oh, Brothers yeah. are each one of the Kyoto Brothers, they're artists. They really know their colors and they know their. Um, their contrast and, and perspective and all that sort of stuff. And it's the audio that that was captured very well. The audio needs to match that. So we're, yeah. we're, we're working on that now. OK, yeah, I was going to say, uh, speaking of like how not cool everything looks and uh, how beautiful everything looks, that was my next question is that's one of the things that everybody loves about the film is the backdrops and the props. Did you take any of that home? Do you have any of that sitting at the house? Oh, that would be wonderful. I, the only thing I have is this. This is a, the oh, okay. thing that's behind me is a piece of artwork that Stephen Kyoto and an artist in Spain, uh, his name is Javier Burgos, mm -hmm. uh, and I put together this okay. uh, backdrop. This was the uh, this was uh, like a twelve foot by twelve foot mural that was in front of the theater uh, when we did the thirtieth uh, anniversary concert last year. Okay, awesome. Speaking of what we talked about, Dead Meat, I'm obviously a fan, and you know mm -hmm. you're a friend of theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched the video where they came to the concert and spoke with y'all, 
And y'all had mentioned either then or when they saw y'all at one of the conventions uh, that within a year or so we'd be hearing about a sequel. Um, it's it's been about a year, or so is there any kind of news on that or? Well, okay, this is what I can tell you uh, mm -hmm. because everything has a history. We are still in the history of killer clowns from outer space, as you know. We're getting little hints of uh, killer clowns being um, introduced to the, the the genre world. As you know, in Child's Play, the, mm. there's a kid that had a poster, the killer clowns poster on the wall. As a matter of fact, Bear McCreary months ago, oh, wait a minute, I'm a, in January, he was saying, dude, I'm looking at uh, Child's Play and I'm seeing your killer clowns poster in the mm. kid's room. And I go, that's so awesome. You know, it means that means they're planting seeds, you know, yeah. uh, and it's part of culture. Um, there's also like in Stranger Things. All right. We have killer clowns and people recognize the music from mm -hmm. killer. You know, there, there's nothing that says, oh, listen here, killer clown music playing here. No, they just hear it and know it because it's so iconic. Yeah. And um, OK, and it sounds like I'm stalling to talk about to answer a question. And it's because I am stalling. Um, <laughs> All I can say is we are in the history of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and I'm very happy to announce that uh, both Universal Studios in Hollywood and in Orlando uh, have a very uh, wonderful house, uh, haunted house, that has a Killer Clowns theme to it that you're going to experience this Halloween season from September up until November. Now. Okay. So that now that will aware awaken even more awareness and more people will fall in love with clowns. And, you know, there are some wonderful things that will develop from that. That's and awesome. that's all I could say. <laughs> I got you. That's awesome to hear. But uh, uh so um, before we dive into those scores, I just wanted to ask, is there any do you watch a lot of newer horror movies? Is there any that you uh, enjoy a lot? I mean, by newer, I mean past 10 years or so not uh okay year or so but. well one of the films we're going to talk about um is uh well i don't know if you can call it horror maybe it's thriller uh, uh, you know the genres is, is you know one person's gore is another person's thriller you know um but uh, i would say get out mm -hmm. to me was an, an incredible film experience i was absolutely riveted by the movie by the st story by the character every aspect of that movie it kept yeah. me going to the uh, you know and that's hard to do for me you know yeah. that's hard you know there's um you know i i work on movies that are very well done and i work on things other things that are not that well done and so mm -hmm. i could i have a very picky eye i can see something in its rough cut form and i say i this is going to be awesome once we put everything together you know right now i mean i've had directors come up to me and you know there was one time i had a, a, a uh, an office on the fourth floor in burbank and there was a director who just wanted to throw himself out because he was just fed up with his own movie i go no 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 no. Yeah. you have a good movie we're going to bring the movie out here you you've done this third of it we have another two thirds we're going to we're going to Fix the dialogue. We're gonna fix the sound. Sound effects are gonna be in, and then you're gonna have a great music score, and then you're gonna have a film. You're gonna be able to enjoy it. Right now, it's missing two thirds of of its of its soul. So we yeah. have to fill it up. So I'm very picky uh, with the, with movies, and I gotta say, Get Out just really just took me and owned me 
for like the whole time I was watching it. It was just I was riveted. I couldn't couldn't get away. So that was it. You know, All you right. ask me. I I'm sorry if I don't give you simple questions. But oh, no, you're there, fine. I, there's a reason why I I say that. You know, and those yeah. are the reason why I, I, you know, Jordan Peele just knows what the hell he's doing. And the composer that composed the score, Michael Abels, oh, my gosh, mm. he just like he I, I soon after that, I sent him a Michael Abels. I sent him a message. We're Facebook friends. And I said, you know what? I can tell that um, Get Out was not temp track with anything. You yeah. did original music to that. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm working on a movie. Um, I was working on. I'm wor I worked on a western earlier this year, by uh, with a community of filmmakers that work with Sam Raimi, oh. and they started temp tracking. I go, can you do me a favor? Just don't temp track it, because the movie is so ed edited well enough where I get the story beats and everything and the emotional beats. Let me just make the music happen that way. And it was so much easier to score the movie without a temp track than it was. <laughs> trying to figure out, oh, gosh, okay, how am I going to cut? Instead of, like, thinking about creating music, I have to think about copying someone else's music yeah. without, getting, without getting sued. And yeah, trust me, I've done films where I see in the IMDb content, uh, comments that, oh, I think Chris Young is about to sue John Massari because I can tell that is from this movie and that movie and the other thing. And I flat out told Chris Young, I go, Chris, you know, dude, I didn't know what to do. They tempt temp track the score with tons of stuff from your other movies and he goes oh that's okay everyone does that that's no problem because yeah. I, I went to school with chris young by the way chris young who okay. did uh, hellraiser uh, okay awesome. he, he went to he went to school one year after me so uh but we we had we had this the same uh composition teacher at ucla okay that's so. awesome so okay there's your answer yeah, and I would definitely, uh, I would say one, I definitely consider it horror because I'm one of those people that I feel like if you fear for the main character for about 75% of the movie, then it's horror. Right. Um, and uh, it might, you might not be scared, but somebody's going to watch the movie and be terrified. So, uh, yeah. And so there's I definitely, scenes from that movie that have become like memes, like where he's just yeah. sitting down in tears or just like welling up and falling out. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, he's go, like going into the sunken place pretty much and stuff yeah it's like and then you it, and then it all starts coming together because you see the other people do that too yeah you know? yeah so. and i'm uh also got to commend jordan p i'm a huge fan of his there's so many details there's even details in the score but we'll get into that as we uh yeah uh, talk about it but um so like uh other than that i just want to ask is there any scores that you've listened to that are from films that you might not have seen that you enjoyed recently same thing about 10 years recent Scores of movies that I have not seen. Uh, movies I have not seen that I have heard the scores. Okay, I have to really. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't do my homework on that one. I know you're fine. If you don't listen to like scores like that, I mean, I know a lot of times you're probably working on your own things. So yeah, oh. but I, I uh, see. I the, the music that I listen to. Believe it or not, I I do f listen to film scores, mm -hmm. uh, but I listen uh, because I, I I need to see how. Because a lot of film scores uh, are, are um, they evolve from the classical repertory, mm. whether people want to believe that or not. They they just do, um, and uh, not in a in, in an indirect way sometimes. You know, often. Yeah. So I always go to the source. There's such a huge repertory uh, from the classical 
the classic music repertory that's so vast that it's you know there's no way that can you can be familiar with at all um Mm. and so there's always something to be uh gained from that because though that some the great masters had just this wonderful spark divine almost like a divine spark of inspiration that that's why it's classic music that's why it still survives you know yeah Um, but um I, I gotta tell you, there was um, the score to Forrest Gump. I hadn't seen Forrest Gump when it first came out. And I saw it maybe a year later with a friend of mine. And when I heard the theme, I said, "Why? Wow, I've been hearing that all over the place. You know, people have been using it as their background music for their radio show or something like that. Yeah. And that's such a delightful piece of music. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It's so perfect this film it's like uh, with you you pull that music out and if you put if you pull that music out that little special little theme Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's almost like a little more it's like a little simple sonata you know i mean it could be played with one finger the melody can play with one finger and um so i i would say that's a piece of music that i've heard that when i finally saw the movie it it just locked into place um, when I was a kid, I, I was too young to see the movie Shaft, so I listened mm-hmm. to the soundtrack album uh, like all the time, and I thought it was really great. And when I saw the movie, it's like, um, you know, it says, "Oh wow, okay, I get it. That's that's how it works," you know. And so what I started to do, a really good uh, way to study film music is to listen to the music score so much that you're. Uh, really familiar with it i did that mm-hmm. with uh, ghostbusters okay. some someone taped the um the soundtrack album hadn't been released yet someone taped with an audio cassette deck with a sony walkman they uh recorded the audio for me and i listened to the movie with the dialogue and yeah. listen i could focus on the music much easier because the visual um aspect of the movie wasn't there to take my attention so yeah so when i finally saw the movie and I go, whoa, that's so perfect. And, and uh, Elmer Bernstein just is a master of, 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 of pacing and timing and um, cadence with his mm-hmm. music, and with the story, and with each scene. That uh, that that was better than taking. That was better than anyone explaining anything to me. Yeah. Uh, when it first came out, and and I felt that my I, at the time I was working with Mark Snow. Uh, the guy that did the X Files uh, music for the X Files, he was doing uh, episodes for uh, um, 20th Century Fox. Uh, let me see, it was called uh, Heart to Heart. Okay. There were episodic television shows, and I was working on those. And I was also working with David Rose on Little House on the Prairie. And after I did that, my my writing got a little better, and they kind of noticed. They go, yeah. "Oh, I like the way you time this out." Or, did you steal that from someone? I go, yeah, Elmer Bernstein. Oh, the perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Not the notes, just the timing. The yeah. you know where to take your pause and where to come back in and where to where to uh, get busy and where to lay low and all that. You know, so I, I learned quite a bit just just from that. And I did it uh, several times. Um, Back to the Future. Also, it, it, I also did that with Back to the Future. That's my uh, favorite movie of all time. I'll yeah, all three of them. All three of them are. It's just they're just incredible movies, um, and yeah. that's also on Sylvester. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just so uh, those are a few, you know, yeah. recent ones. Um, oh, you know what? Um, OK, let me see if I can remember the name. Arrival. Uh, the, are you compos- talking about the alien movie? Well, yes. Yes. Yeah. The composer sadly, sadly, sadly passed away. But I got to hear his music prior to seeing the uh, movie. And okay. I just loved what he did. And, you know, there was there's a instrument that uh, I I'm think he used. Well, I, he, used, he uses an instrument, a Swedish folk instrument called a nickel harpa, which is basically kind of like if you can imagine you get a violin and you can bow it with a bow. And then you have, instead of putting your fingers on the strings, there's this apparatus of keys, like a keyboard, that mm. press the strings down for you. And it has a very awesome sound to it. And um, he, I think he used that instrument. And he also used an instrument that uh, people had to recreate from uh, illustrations that Leonardo da Vinci made. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci kind of came up with a drawing and a schematic for a musical instrument that basically instead of a piano that has a hammer that hammers the strings, there's these Mm -hmm. cylinders that bow the strings. So the person is constantly pedaling these cylinders that are bowing, that are moving all the time. And when you press the key, the, um, the cylinder goes up and touches the string. So it's kind of like, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like, have you ever seen with a wine glass, someone wets it? And makes yeah, like this congeniality promotion. Yeah, so it's kind of yeah. like that. It sounds similar to that. So, yeah. um, uh, oh God, the composers, the the composer that did the movie, his name escapes me right now. Uh, Johansson is his last name. I'm really sad that I, I memorized his last name, but he, um, he, I think he used that instrument also. It's called a viola organista. You know, okay. and it had so he had these very organic. In other words, it wasn't electronic sounds. They were very organic sounds that were just blown out of proportion. They're played on small instruments, but when you blow them out of proportion, it just mm-hmm. lended such a great vibe to this movie. It just had a great, uh, it had a great signature to it. Real quick, I guess we're about we're diving into those scores, but uh, if you don't mind, I'll suggest a few scores for you to check okay. out. Okay, let me write this down. Hold on. Go ahead. Uh, I also recommend watching the movies, of course, but uh, one of them would be uh, Colin Stetson's work on Hereditary. Hereditary. He does a lot of... Yeah, it, um, watching Book of Eli um, reminded me a lot of the way that he does Hereditary. Not really... It's a way different, but it's just the way that it uh, like it plays on your emotions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then Tom York's uh, Suspiria remake. Mm-hmm. It plays out more like uh, something you could definitely listen to musically, you know, like in the car and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's very beautiful, and it almost like you would almost not think about it being a horror movie soundtrack if you just listen to the soundtrack. So, well, you know, you bring up a good point that it sounds beautiful because let's go, let's go, let's. You want to go back back in time a bit? Let's talk about the uh, the Exorcist, the Exorcist yeah. theme, which wasn't written for the Exorcist, um, uh, was a. V- very beautiful piece of music when you listen to it on its own mm-hmm. and then when you play it uh, uh, against the um against this horrific story of a, a innocent child like possessed by the devil it ha- it takes on a different meaning you know what i mean yeah. it's that contrast you know because if it had just scary music 
it might not have worked well is if you play something because let's face it you go in a dark room in a, in a creaky old house that you don't know what's going to be poking its head out and you hear a weird out of tune toy box playing a pretty little melody it's actually scarier than scary music <laughs> yeah just yeah. like uh they a lot of marketing campaigns revamp that uh tiny tim song yes the, uh yes. tiptoeing through the tulips like that's pretty right. much the same thing just uh right. in modern day or whatever but what do you want to go ahead and dive on to the into the scores okay well you asked me which was which i thought was really cool uh mm -hmm. what scores uh, kind of stick out recently in my mind as being really great. Now, these uh, one movie was released a couple of years ago, and the other movie was released, I think, in 2014 or 2015. Let's start with mm -hmm. The Book of Eli, which, okay. I, first of all, I love the story. I love the movie. I've probably seen it at least four times. And it's uh, composed by uh, Atticus and Leopold Ross and uh, Claudia Cern. And uh, it just, what I loved about that movie, there is this four-note motif at the very beginning end title that mm. you hear that almost sounds hallelujah. It almost sounds like hallelujah, hallelujah, yeah. four, four, four notes. And you don't hear it, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go through it again. You don't hear it until the very end. And it, and it sounds, it's, it, it, even though it's an electronica score, there's such a um, oh my goodness pulse and re realness to it that's just uh, captivating. And every time I watch that movie, there's a new detail I pick because I'm not going to give away the punchline at the end. But mm. you you see to the unknowing person, you see hints of that punchline throughout the entire movie. Yeah, and um, you know, and the music keeps keeps up with that. And I tell you, you know, I had done scores similar to that early in my career very very thick um uh, electronica scores and it just kind of fell on deaf ears because people people tend to sometimes go with trends mm -hmm. and they say well we, we we want like an orchestra score just like this score i go well you don't have the budget for an orchestra score and i can get you some incredible colors that will kind of cut your film from the herd it will uh, make your film speak in a different way that, uh, that that will lend an original voice yeah to your movie that will be very particular to your movie where people mm. can point to it wow that is a very interesting item and i feel that's what going back to killer clowns that's what we achieve uh the kyoto brothers were very clear in that they loved the classics the you know the classic film scores that they loved and they named all of them it was it was mighty joe young the original uh, king kong there was the um Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, all of those big-time orchestral scores, right? Yeah. So, but because this is Killer Clowns, we want a very colorful sound. Can you get that colorful sound with uh, synthesizers? And, and back in the day, say, electronic instruments. I go, absolutely. So that's what we did. So that's why it has the unique sound it is, because I, I made combinations of different instruments and different sounds. I mean, I created, I had a Yamaha DX7 and an Oberheim OBX and I created a whole world of different sounds that did not that were not factory sounds that didn't mm -hmm. come 
that weren't that you, when you buy the machine you get these factory sounds i just sat there and tore those things apart and prepared different sounds for it that uh, i wish i had to this day but that's okay it's very indigenous to killer clowns from outer space so uh back to the book of eli uh atticus ross is just a master uh, yeah of making a musical landscape that just draws you in and locks you into the world that you're experiencing um and uh and a, a big shout out to the uh, albert allen and uh albert and alan hughes for directing such an incredible movie and mm. you know denzel washington had a great deal to do with that i mean he he, he really bought so much personality and there's so many little words of wisdom throughout that entire movie that are just gems yeah so that's one book of eli highly recommend a great score by atticus and leopold ross and claudia zern uh then get out i love it um, now do you, you know what go ahead i was gonna say do you mind if i just make a quick comment about uh book of eli myself really quick i think so i think you should because it's your show <laughs> i uh, i was just gonna say i also really enjoy uh atticus ross's work on uh gone girl uh yes that was amazing too i really love that score but uh one thing i like about what you were talking about with this is that with it being a post-apocalyptic movie the way that he puts that electronica over almost like a classic blockbuster style score like something you would see in like a uh i want to say independence day but obviously not mm -hmm. necessarily but something like of that scale you know what i mean like it's something you'd kind of see in like a I don't know. I don't want to dumb it down by attaching it to something else, but I don't mm -hmm. want to like, so yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. I get it. I get it. But it almost feels like he even might've, and I'm not saying he did, but it almost has like a feel of a score written uh, as if the film were in a pastime and then gone back over and added the electronica st stuff over top of it and kind of gave it like the feel of a, you know, add that apocalyptic feel, which I'm sure he didn't do that. I'm just saying that that's how it almost feels. It feels like perfectly blended with, a normal blockbuster style movie score and the uh, enough to give it an apocalyptic feel without making it feel like a you know jam packed full of ele electronic music pretty much so. right well you know there's nothing stopping you from get uh you know you know contacting him and asking him yourself sure i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if he'd be happy to tell you you yeah. know so maybe no, you, definitely maybe you can be on your show yeah, I'll reach out to him, and I'll definitely be reaching out to uh, Michael Abels because I'm a huge yes. fan of both uh, us and uh, Get Out's uh, score. Oh, yeah. so. so we're going to go on to the next one? Yes, sir. You want to go right Let's on ahead? Get Out. Now, do you know what my – I got to tell you, so we were, I was talking to some friends about Get Out, and they were talking about their favorite parts of it. I go, the part of – oddly enough, the part of the movie that was my favorite part of the movie – that I think Jordan Peele really, he had this thread going through the entire movie that, of course, everyone, when they tell talk about what scared them, I don't talk mm -hmm. about what scared me. I talk about what inspires me. That the main character had a friend that was so persistent in figuring out where his friend was because he didn't know where his friend was. He wasn't like a busybody. He was just worried, concerned about his friend. And yeah. he goes through all of this stuff and failure after failure after failure. And then he he just takes matters into his own hands and he <laughs> saves the day. And I tell you, I, I wish I had a friend like that. I, everyone should have everyone should have a friend like that. And people should be like that to each other. Yeah. That's 
That's my that's my takeaway from the whole movie. <laughs> but now, if we have to go to the scary parts, oh my gosh, there's so many themes. There's the teacup. There yeah. is like the, all of a sudden, like you're falling and you're helpless. You can see you've lost control of yourself. That's all. That is so terrifying, you mm -hmm. know. And um, so I was listening to the score uh, by um, Michael Abels, and I. I probably after the first uh, gosh minute of his score I, I i said to myself this movie wasn't temp tracked with anything this yeah. is an original score now michael abels is a classical composer he's basically um he's very um very accomplished in the concert the classical concert world doing music of his own design for the sheer um pleasure of of being performed live you know uh he's done so many choral works orchestral works he's very you know he's he's got classical commissions it's just absolutely awesome and um when i saw this i was starting to work on a movie that they started temp tracking it and i said listen forget it don't waste your time with the temp track music just yeah. don't and sometimes um, directors say, can you just temp track it with music and see if we like the direction that you're picking and then do something like that? And I go, well, you know, I think you're, you're selling yourself short. You're, you're, you're contributing to the homogenization of mm -hmm. film scores. You know, I could see maybe if it doesn't really matter and we just, you know, they do that in commercials a lot. I did, I, people don't know this, but I did commercials for about like six or seven years, high-end commercials for high-end like IBM and um, uh, variety of car companies, AT&T and all that sort of stuff. And because there's a, such a fast turnaround, they pick, they fall in love with a piece of music and they say, do something like this, you know? Yeah. So anyways, so I um, encourage my, the people I was working with, just, just let me have a crack at it. Just don't do that. Leave. You've edited the movie just perfectly. And some editors feel that they can't edit picture unless have a music track to edit to. So yeah. uh, to pull the music out for them was a little difficult. But then when I was able to clear my mind and do something really original, they liked it. And, and I felt that's what um, Michael Abels did. And I contacted him. And I got to say, I, got, I was so inspired by the work that you did that I convinced my... Uh, director to pull the temp track and I'm just having the most the most wonderful time in the world doing original music you know you look at a scene you get the cadence you get where's the interesting parts where you're gonna where you're gonna bring in certain themes or certain um, textures and certain chord sequences and what have you and then it just all evolves naturally and it becomes real you know yeah uh, I remember seeing um a documentary about uh, Burt Backrack, who I got to finally meet in person. You probably don't know who Burt Backrack is, but he did uh, uh, a lot I do, of but only because of Austin Powers. <laughs> oh, okay. The well, cutaway to Burt Backrack and Austin yeah, Powers. He did, a, he did a ton of a ton of really great movies in the um, uh, in the sixties. One of them was Alfie, and the other was After the Fox. Uh, he did a couple of Woody Allen movies. Uh, early uh, casino royale and uh it's interesting his his technique he didn't like he didn't like to look at scoring sheets where they broke everything down numerically in time you know, it's, it's, just let me look at the scene and let me play with it and like he would uh like when he did the look of love he just like he in those days he had this little projector he didn't have a video 
He had a projector that was a combination of a, a projector and a lawnmower. It was so noisy and got hot and was just a pain in the neck to deal with. He had to thread up this, and you had it by your piano. It just you can imagine you're sitting this next to this projector making a lot of clunking, clanking noises, and you're sitting there trying to write music while looking at this tiny screen that's about that big. You know, well, I mean, it's about yeah. It's about that about big as your a little bit bigger than a little bit smaller than your head, <laughs> and like a sandwich, you could fit a sandwich. actual size. <laughs> yeah, you could fit a sandwich in there, so you're like looking at that. And listen, Maurice Jarre scored um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia that way. You know, big epic movies. So, yeah. uh, anyways, Burt Bacharach would just like play the music and come up with a cadence and a feel till it's right. And then he wrote that down and he just took that to the orchestra and they go, where's the click track? No click track. We're just going to play. You just follow me. And that's mm -hmm. the way they did the scores, you know. So uh, I really admired that. I I'm really happy that, um, you know, uh, Jordan Peele decided to go with like a classic, a modern day classical composer mm -hmm. to express horror because he had he came up with such great uh, orchestral textures and sound. Is that not... It's not thematic, so to speak, and it doesn't have to be thematic. It's very, uh, I like to say the word indigenous, indigenous yeah. to the story. It's like locked in. The, the pulse of the music, the design of the composition is really locked in with yeah. the, the story. And that's, and, and at the end of the day, that's what's important, you know, mm -hmm. because it, it's um, the reason why I got into music is because it gives you an experience. So when you see the Book of Eli, hear Atticus, Atticus Ross's uh, score and uh, Michael Abel's score, it adds to your experience, your personal experience to that movie. And when I was a little kid and I first heard music, it gave me an experience that I just wanted to recreate for myself. And I want to make my own music to make my own experiences, you know, and maybe people will like them. Maybe they won't. I mean, there's music. I mean, the Killer Clowns March, for instance, I wrote that when I was in high school. Yeah, and that's I, one of my favorite part of the score. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the band I was playing with, I, I played in that don't 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 They go, what chord is that? And I go, I don't know. If you kind of put everything together, it's sort of like a, a D major seven, then it goes to a, a G and an A, and oh, there's a B flat major seven sort of in there. And they go, those are jazz chords. <laughs> We're not going to play jazz. And they were just like totally. It died, it died right there, so my band wasn't going to play it. But I didn't give yeah. up on it. I just, when I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space years, years later, I thought, oh, God, wait a minute. That song from my band Crisis, that would be perfect <laughs> for this. And I put it in full knowing that it might not be. Oh, it's too disjointed. It's too angular. It's just not, you know, it's very stark. And, well, those are the, those are the elements that made it work. And yeah. The mu both the music director, Bob Hunka, uh, and uh, the Kyoto Brothers loved it. And that's all that mattered. And then mm -hmm. to this day, that's what people identify. You could play the first four, you know, there's like eight notes in the eight or eight or 11 notes in that, uh, mm -hmm. the, in that motif that you could play. You could play the first four and people know what it is. They can name that tune, yeah. you know, dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's Killer Comes from Outer Space. Sure, you just probably hit somebody with a danner and they'd probably know it. <laughs> right. Just because right. of the tone of the instrument and everything. But right. you didn't want to, uh, were you done talking about Get Out? 
Uh, yeah, that's about it. I, I recommend everyone see Get Out and um, Book of Eli. Well, I do want to um, ask you real quick if you noticed a few details about Get Out. Uh, one, did you notice that the score always went completely silent when somebody said something like racist or uh, yeah, that could be racist? You know, like hey. Tiger's my favorite or, you know, yes. something about basketball. So I love that. And then also the uh, they did the same thing as Book of Eli where they had a piece of music play at the beginning and then again at the end. But uh, it's called... Uh, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak Swahili <laughs> or Swahili, <laughs> but it's uh, Sikaliza Kwai Wahinga is uh, it's the title of the track and everything. But mm-hmm. in it, it's repeating these words in Swahili and they pretty much uh, they pretty much mean listen to your ancestors. Something bad is coming. Run. And then wow. uh, and then, of course, the title means uh, something similar to that. But uh because that's what they're repeating the whole time. So something along those lines, you know, that's like a loosely loose translation. But um, that was one of the things. And then also uh, I wanted to see if you noticed the last name Armitage, what that was hinting at. No, no, I didn't see that. Um, Rose's last name and her whole family's name is Armitage. And that's actually another name for a cyber attack. Oh, and, my goodness. But it's the part of the cyber attack that picks out who should be attacked. Oh. And that's exactly what their family does in the film, you know, yeah. um, as far as. Stuff like that. So well, see, those are see, those are incredible. I, I mean, it's so great that you um, that you looked into that, acknowledged that. That just shows you how much work and passion goes into any of these projects. These, you know, when yeah. you see a, when you see a great film, uh, it's great for a reason because people took the time to really care to mm-hmm. uh, to pick out the right uh, references is subtle as they may be it's kind of yeah. like imagine like you see a fine piece of furniture it has layer and layer of gloss and color mm. and different textures and different shapes and what have you all that adds up to like a yeah. one piece you know i mean you, you look at it you know you look at any of michelangelo's sculptures it's so full of detail some of them have take, taken practically a decade to finish because yeah. it takes time to not only execute the detail but to conceive the detail mm. you know and um you know you could just <clears throat> experiencing these particular movies you can tell there was lots of attention first of all you started off with a great script and yeah. from that script it's not like well let's come up with like a storyline shoot a film and figure out you know that may you may create a masterpiece that way but there's nothing like having a great story, a great script that everyone can say, oh, wow, I know what to bring to this. Yeah. To, to, to make all this happen, to, to, to bring out significance to, to this story, you know. Yeah. And um, I just really uh, appreciate that, you, that you're really looking into that. And, and I think people realize, you know, they can't take for granted like what you see, well, in the movie theater or streaming. Yeah. That it was haphazard. There's just so much work and um, an investment of people's creative energy that makes all of this happen. Well, I appreciate you for the interview. I'm going to give you a few minutes here to shout out everybody you want to shout out and talk about. I believe you want to shout out a charity as well. There's the uh, Seishura Youth Orchestra. I'm on the board of the Seishura Youth Orchestra. And it's here in Glendale and in Burbank. California and we want to expand and our primary goal is to go into schools that do not have music programs and bring them 
high quality music education. And it's also, uh, we are not only provide music education, but uh, we provide nutrition <laughs> at the same time. So uh, we start kids off on uh, the recorder and then they pick an instrument like clarinet, saxophone, trumpet, trombone, or violin, or viola, or cello, or uh, some kids like to play electric bass. And uh, it's near and dear to my heart because the kids, uh, they have a place to go and they have a discipline to uh, uh, express themselves in, which is music. Then, uh, okay, here you go. I got a, a shout out to my favorite YouTubers, if you don't mind. And right that would be uh, James and Chelsea of Dead Meat. Of Dead Meat. Uh, they're, they're really good people. I love hanging around with them. And uh, there's Decker Shadow. He's in Texas. And uh, he, he has a very unique uh, style of movie reviews. And he's known as the inter internet pet... Mm. He's known as the internet personality with the best hair. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, you and him could get along well because you've got a <laughs> good head of hair there, too. There's Iva Trees Littles, and she's with uh, 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 Horror Movies and Beyond. She's kind of like the uh, – she likes to think of herself as the, as the horror film creator whisperer. Kind of like the kind of like the Oprah Winfrey of of horror music. She she gets she gets into the uh, creative uh, soul of people who create horror. And then there's uh, Boston White. She's in um, Liverpool, England, and she often comes out to Orlando. Her primary uh, thing is appreciate great appreciation for the horror genre and uh, the amusement parks, especially Hollywood Horror Nights in mm -hmm. Orlando, Florida. Uh, that's where she makes appearances every year. So those are my friends that, uh, that I really uh, admire and cherish that I just want to give a shout out to. Well, I appreciate you doing the interview. Um, I can't wait for everybody to become fans of Killer Clowns from Outer Space so we can see what happens with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, I really appreciate you inviting me. It was uh, You asked some really great questions, and uh, I hope that uh, your listeners will uh, – uh, get some value out of our discussion. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You take care, man. And please don't forget to go donate to the Cicera Youth Orchestra. The link will be in the bio, as well as the link for everybody he shout out as well. The podcast is free. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is free on YouTube with ads. Uh, John Masari does plenty of interviews. He's a super nice guy. So the least you could do is just go donate a few bucks uh, to the youth orchestra and really help them out over there. So just make sure you go do that. And then also don't forget to follow Trash Mouth Presents on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also go check out my buddy CNC Film Studios at cncfilmstudios.com. Films plural. And over on his uh, Instagram at CNC Film Studios and on YouTube.com backslash P-L-U-M-S-T-E-R. He's doing a Halloween 3 fan film. It's looking pretty sweet, and it actually comes out uh, August 16th. So it's, I think it's this upcoming Friday, so make sure you check it out. I just want to say a big thank you again to John Masari. He is a true gentleman for doing this, and I enjoyed it a ton. Hopefully I can have him back maybe in a couple months to talk about his experience uh, hands-on with the Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, we'll see, but... Until next time, I'm your host, Trashmouth. Thanks for listening.